Hello and welcome to another episode of Cranky Talk, a show for avgeeks and non-avgeeks alike. We continue to tackle everything happening in the aviation world in the time of COVID, but this week, we're taking a break from COVID. Today, we're going to talk about the Max. You mean the diner in Saved by the Bell? Uh, I have actually never seen a single episode of Saved by the Bell, so no, I have no idea what you're talking about. I think that's a fireable offense. Well, that sucks. All right, but anyway, you did not clarify that we are indeed talking about the Boeing 737 MAX aircraft, so I figured I'd just give you a hard time with my fantastic humor. Oh, thank you. Mm, I'm not buying it. But anyway, you're welcome. But before we get into all things MAX, I want to thank this week's Cranky Talk sponsor. Everybody, you know it, right? This could be like a concert where you just hold out the mic and let everyone say it. Yeah, do it. Turbulence forecast. <laughs> Pretend that was the audience. <laughs> you just laugh at me, I can tell. Anyway, almost every flight experiences turbulence, but did you know you can find out exactly how bumpy your flight will be even before you get on the plane? No, I had no idea. I knew it. You've been lying this whole time. So you, Dave, and everyone else should visit TurbulenceForecast.com to view turbulence maps for routes everywhere in the world. This free-to-use site provides access to the same maps pilots use, plus helpful explanations on how to interpret them. TurbulenceForecast.com also offers a concierge forecast by email service from the founder of the website. Place your order before the flight, and you'll receive a personalized forecast by email that details what turbulence to expect during your entire route. Be sure to join the mailing list at TurbulenceForecast.com. For those who are unaware, the Boeing 737 MAX is the fourth and newest generation of Boeing's wildly successful 737 aircraft. The MAX was a stopgap design meant to improve upon the 737NG, and it ran into a crashing problem that led to its grounding until just last month when it started flying again. Uh, what does NG mean? Uh, that stands for next generation. I'm guessing someone was a big fan of Star Trek and Captain Picard back then. See, the first generation was the 737-100 and 200. That was designed to be about 100 seats, and it used early generation jet engines, one under each wing. You ever seen those cigar-shaped engines on older airplanes, Dave? I'm sure I have, but I definitely did not pay attention, nor would I bother remembering. Stupid question on my part. My bad. I demand you surrender your Avgeek credentials, Dave, but you never had any, so whatever. But the old cigar-shaped engines had low bypass, meaning most of the air was pushed through the turbine itself. That made for a loud and relatively inefficient engine. But at the time, it was state-of-the-art tech. I mean, this was back in, like, the 60s. And that airplane was actually pretty common to see flying around up until the uh, turn of the century here when it was pretty quickly phased out. But the next version of the 737 came out in the 1980s, and that's the Dash 300, 400, and 500, which is now called the Classic. That was the first version that had higher bypass engines, which put more of the compressed air around the turbine instead of actually going through it. What that does is it makes it quieter, but it also makes the engine more efficient. And to do that, though, the engines have to be much bigger, much wider. Since the 737 was designed for those thin little cigar engines, the airplane was pretty low to the ground. That actually helped them to put uh, built-in staircases, too, as a fun fact. 
So those new engines didn't fit on this design. So what they did is they, they actually took the nacelle surrounding the turbine and they warped it. So the top was round, but the bottom was kind of flat. That's, uh, that's really weird and not all that interesting. Oh, come on. It's kind of interesting. Mm. But listen, I, I, this is leading somewhere. So let me speed things up. So the next version is the NG, or dash 600, 700, 800, and 900. And that was probably the best 737 built. It had even more efficient engines that required jacking the airplane up a bit to get a better fit. Everyone listening to this podcast has probably flown in a 737NG, including you, Dave. In fact, I know you have because I've been on one with you on Southwest. Uh, if you say so, I'm sure we've been on an airplane at the same time. Now, when they designed the Max as the next generation beyond the next generation, they couldn't be convinced to design a brand new airplane. It was too expensive and would take too long. So instead, what they did is they took that old 1960 design and put even bigger and more efficient engines on it. This time to fit the engines, though, they found a way to move them a little bit forward of the wing, and then they could push it up. That created more clearance so the whole thing would fit and not scrape along the ground. Uh, all right, so you said this was going somewhere. Why do we care about engine placement, Brett? Ah, yes. Well, when you move the engine forward like that, it changes the center of gravity. Boeing was overly focused on making sure that pilots who flew the NG would require as little training as possible to fly the MAX. They had to make sure it was basically the same airplane to the point that pilots wouldn't even be required to do any time in the simulator. That meant the airplane had to behave pretty much the same way as the NG. Uh, but if the center of gravity was different, then it would behave differently. Exactly. Now, this isn't the kind of thing that was going to occur all the time. What they found is that especially when the airplane was in high bank turns, the airplane's angle of attack, just think of that as how much the nose points up for simplicity's sake, would point up too much, it would slow down, and then that would lead to the airplane stalling. Uh, that doesn't sound good. Stalling, in my head, means crashing. No, not necessarily. It, it just means that you're going too slow, and the air flowing over the wing becomes turbulent. The airplane loses lift, and it can cause an accident, but there are also pretty standard procedures to recover from it, assuming you have enough room between you and the ground to recover. Uh, I wonder if Turbulence Forecast could have predicted that. Da zing Hey! Anyway... Boeing figured this was an easy fix. They designed something that ended up being called the Maneuvering Characteristics Augmentation System, or as you may have heard it, MCAS. This was said to be just an extension of an existing trim system. But basically, if you found yourself in a high bank turn with your nose up too high, it would push it down. Make sure you maintained enough speed to avoid stalling. Okay, well, that sounds good, but... We've all now heard about the MCAS and how it crashed two airplanes, so clearly it wasn't. Right, so the sentiment was good, but oh my, where to even start with how poorly this thing was designed? There were some protections built in. For example, it wouldn't deploy with the flaps extended. That happens when you're either taking off or landing, and you don't really want automation stepping in during that critical phase to push your nose down. Second, it didn't deploy when autopilot was flying, but that's because the autopilot would never let it get into that position anyway. But then there were some mind-bogglingly bad moves. To me, the biggest failure was the decision to have it run off only one sensor. Think of it this way. The airplane needs to know that the angle of attack is too high. 
So it relies on sensors that sit just outside the airplane to provide the information. The airplane has more than one sensor, it has two. But incredibly, this MCAS system was meant to operate using the data from only one sensor. So if that sensor is broken or gives wrong information, it could cause the thing to activate. Exactly. And that's what happened in both the Lion Air and Ethiopian crashes. The airplanes took off, and as soon as the flaps were retracted, which happens pretty quickly after you take off, the MCAS saw high angle of attack numbers that were wrong and immediately pushed the nose down. Whoa. Uh, That's got to be pretty scary for a pilot to see that. It's scary for a couple reasons. So first, as I mentioned, the flaps get retracted pretty soon after takeoff. So you're not that far off the ground when all of a sudden your nose starts being pushed down. But get this, Boeing never told the pilots that MCAS existed. They figured it would just happen in extremely rare instances, and there was no need to tell them about it. So imagine being a pilot, you just took off, and now the airplane nose is inexplicably pointing down. That is that is awful, nerve-wracking, infuriating, all, just horrible. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, so it gets worse. So the nose gets pushed down. Pilots have checklists to deal with that. There's something called runaway trim, which can cause this type of situation as well. And pilots have processes for fixing that problem, so they just assume this is what's going on. They do that, but then after a certain time, the MCAS shuts off anyway. So things look like they're going back to normal. And let me guess, they aren't. Nope, they aren't. Because the MCAS was programmed to operate not just one time. It was programmed to do it over and over and over again until the sensor showed the right angle of attack. The problem is, when one sensor is broken, it will never show the right info. So the airplane will continue trying to point the nose down over and over again as programmed. This is horrifying. Yeah, it really is. So the MAX was grounded after the Ethiopian crash in early 2019, and they went back to the drawing board to fix it. This airplane was reviewed from top to bottom. In the end, they fixed all the basic stuff. The MCAS now takes data from two sensors instead of one, and if it gets a disagreement between the two, it won't deploy. It seems like a third sensor would be useful, would be a useful tiebreaker, so it could act. Yeah, true. But I'm guessing they didn't want to spend the money to do that because you'd actually have to add the sensor. Sure. But either way, this will prevent accidental deployments, and that's really what matters here. Then they also changed it so that it will only deploy once during each event. Oh, and get ready for this. They told the pilots it existed and trained them. Wow. What a concept. Isn't it? So with all this in place, regulatory bodies around the world, including the FAA here in the U.S., recertified the airplane. On December 29th, the first aircraft in the U.S. took passengers when American flew from Miami to New York and back. Uh, I'm not sure I'd have wanted to be on that flight. See, this didn't bother me at all. They've gone over that airplane so many times that I have to think it's safe. I wouldn't have a problem flying on it at all right now. Uh, Sure, I guess so, but I can't be the only one who has second thoughts. Oh, definitely not. And general media coverage doesn't help instill confidence either. The airlines realize that, so they put together some really flexible policies here. First, there have been talk about renaming the airplanes to remove the MAX name, somehow hide it. Some airlines outside the U.S. might try that, but in the U.S., all the airlines here want the MAX name prominently displayed. They don't want to trick people into getting on the airplane. They want to reassure them. All right, so who's flying it in the U.S.? Uh, Well, American's the only one so far. 
Uh, it's flying it almost entirely to and from Miami, and it's adding new routes pretty frequently here as it ramps up. Uh, Aeromexico starts flying from Mexico City to L.A. and uh, New York JFK on February 1st, and uh, Air Canada and United uh, start flying on February 11th. United's mostly going to fly from Houston and Denver hubs uh, to the coasts for the most part. And Alaska comes back on March 1st with some West Coast flying. Uh, WestJet gets going on April 1st. And the only one we don't really know so far uh, that's a a big presence here is Southwest. Uh, They haven't filed that yet, but it'll be in the second quarter. All right. So this is going to be all over the place pretty quickly. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's going to be flying all over. There are a ton of airplanes. I mean, there were a bunch of airplanes in the fleet before they were grounded. But Boeing kept producing them for at least part of the time they were grounded. So they're trying to deliver these things the best they can. And the airplanes are really efficient. So the airlines want them flying. But what if I just don't want to fly one? Too bad. Suck it up, buttercup. Uh, Just kidding. You know, I was going to say that's pretty harsh. The airlines actually have done a bunch of things. American put into place a waiver before it did the first flight. Look, I mean, you'll know you're booked on a MAX at the time of booking, and they won't swap in a MAX for a flight at the last minute that's not supposed to be, at least not for now during this kind of break-in period. But if you book a MAX and change your mind, you can still do that. American will let you change to another flight on a different airplane without any costs. You won't be forced to fly the airplane even if you booked it in the first place. And what if there's no other flight? That'll be pretty rare, but it is possible. For example, I see some days in February and March where Americans' only flight to Kingston and Jamaica is on a max. In those cases, well, you can change up to seven days before or after at no charge, so that might help. Or you can change to another airport within 300 miles, so Montego Bay, anyone? (laughs) If that doesn't work for you, well, there are no refunds, but you can still keep that credit to use for a future trip. And there's no change fee. This policy is in place for travel through February 28th, but that no change fee thing is a a more permanent fixture. So you always have that kind of flexibility. And other airlines are doing things. I mean, they're doing the same thing, but some are even going beyond. So United, for example, says it won't schedule more than 50% of any flights on any given route on the max. So people will be guaranteed to have other options on that same route. So it seems like they've actually thought this through pretty well. Uh, I'm shocked. <laughs> they, they have indeed. And I am uh, not shocked to hear that you're shocked. But, <laughs> see, I, I've spoken with people at American about this, though. And apparently they aren't seeing any significant numbers when it comes to people switching off the airplane. This may have all been for naught. They've, made, they've done such a good job of just making sure people know they're on the airplane when they book, you know, doing all this stuff to make people feel comfortable. And ultimately, it doesn't seem to be a big deal. But it's still good they did it because it helps build that confidence. And the more the airplane gets flying, the more people will not care, just like you, Dave, what airplane they're on. Thanks for tuning in to Cranky Talk. We'll be back with more deep dives and helpful tips for these turbulent times. Before we finish up, I want to again thank this week's Cranky Talk sponsor, Turbulence Forecast, which Dave did not know existed. Almost every flight you take has turbulence, but wouldn't you like to know how much there will be and when it will happen? Check out TurbulenceForecast.com for worldwide turbulence maps, interpretations, and a concierge forecast by email service. You can receive a personalized turbulence forecast before your flight from the founder of the website. That's TurbulenceForecast.com. 
And please rate and review us on iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, five stars only, please. You can write whatever you want in the review, but those five stars will help others discover our little podcast. If you write something especially nice, I will read it out on this show at some point. If you'd like to be a sponsor, let us know. Email Dave directly at dave at crankyconcierge.com.